Bibles. Please turn to Mark chapter 1. Mark takes the last half of chapter 1 to give us really three different pictures of what the ministry of Jesus is going to be like, where he will focus that ministry, what is he mainly going to be doing, teaching and preaching more than anything, and we'll get to that certainly, but also healing and then casting out demons, which is kind of the same thing, but the last of which is the focus of our text this morning. What is real authority? What does it look like when someone has that? When someone has absolute authority that requires no one else's approval or permission, doesn't have to be ran through anything, doesn't need to check with anyone or anything before it acts or is exercised. The authority of Jesus is one of the central elements of Mark. It comes up again and again throughout his gospel. In fact, it's the first thing about the teaching of Jesus that stands out is that it has a different kind of authority. Jewish people were used to authority in their lives. They'd seen it before. Every, everybody is, right? Not just from the Romans, but who had occupied their country by force, but even more tangibly from their religious leaders, their countrymen who taught them the law. But when Jesus began to speak, it was evident to everyone who listened that there was something different about him. And it was the authority with which he spoke, an authority completely unfamiliar to others. Real authority is independent. It needs no one and nothing from anyone in order to exist. It just is. No one on earth has that kind of authority. And it would be terrifying if anybody did. If any human being had unchecked power, authority, prerogative. To prove the point that nobody really has that is the fact that even those who've attempted to grasp it have ended up losing it precisely because somebody else wanted it. The most comforting message those who dwell on this earth can hear this morning, no matter where they are or who they are, is that real authority belongs exclusively to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, uses His actual and absolute authority to lay down His life that he might save sinners. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you this morning for your Son, Jesus Christ. As we look to him and remember how he came riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. Lord, that's power. That's power. It just doesn't look like it. But Lord, we... Look to him this morning in your word. I ask that for your name and for your glory and for the sake of your people and for all those who will hear, you will completely overshadow and overtake me that I might speak the truth that comes from you and not myself. I ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Verse 21. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. So there's that word again. We discussed it before. Immediately, this text begins to show us why or how that word is so important in Mark. Jesus wasted absolutely no time getting himself into trouble, so to speak. In Mark, at the outset 
of his public ministry, he immediately does what will cause problems with the religious establishment in Israel. He heals on the Sabbath. And notice, he does that, by the way, right after walking into the synagogue and beginning to teach. Look at verse 22. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as those, as one who had authority and not as the scribes. So when Jesus acts immediately, or as we see here, or look at verse 23, I didn't finish, and immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. So when Jesus acts immediately, Satan counters immediately. Two real spiritual cosmic forces collide in the ministry of Jesus, and it takes no time at all. Satan does not want Jesus to win. He doesn't want him to reign. But what is immediately clear is that Jesus has actual and absolute authority, while Satan's authority is dependent on other factors. Look at the second part of verse 23. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Satan and his demons had no compunction whatsoever. Notice this about coming into the synagogue, did they? They weren't afraid to go there. They weren't afraid to be seen there. In the Old Testament, when you think on it, there are very few references to demons or the demonic world at all. Occurrences of demonic possession are even more rare. We never see them really unless uh, they're just not recorded. But what's happening here then? Where, where did this come from? We haven't really seen it at all. Out of nowhere, a man possessed by a demon shows up in the synagogue in Galilee. Well, as the emperor said to Darth Vader, you've seen the Empire Strikes Back. There's been a disturbance in the force. Something has happened. The king is here. The king is here. The Lord of heaven and earth is walking among us. And R.C. Sproul said, all hell is breaking loose. That's what's happening. Satan and his minions know that voice when they hear it. They know it. It originally created them, brought them to life. It also threw them out when they rebelled. And all of a sudden... He's here, he's in what they thought was their domain, and he's teaching. He's going public, people are going to find out. They're going to know what's really going on. They're going to know that he's the one that has the authority. Theirs is on loan, he must be stopped. That's what this is about. So, in the spirit of Doc Holliday from Tombstone, Jesus walks right into the hornet's nest, holds his hands out and says, Say when? You want to fight? We'll have a fight. He's not afraid. Look at verse 25. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, be silent and come out of him. That's a very nice way of rendering what he said there. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. I love that. How dare you? We'll leave. <laughs> <laughs> and they were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. Beloved, the crowd was astonished at his teaching. Back in verse 22. Why 
right? No doubt they had heard good teaching. All the negative aspects of the religious leadership in Israel aside, rest assured those teachers knew the Hebrew Scriptures. They knew their Old Testament. They could quote it back to front. They could recite the law at a moment's notice. These scribes were the most learned expositors of Old Testament law. If there would have been masters of divinity, masters of theology, it would have been these men. And to speak the word of God is to speak with some sense of authority just by saying it just because of what it is. But notice the why of their amazement at Jesus back in verse 22. For he taught them as one who had authority, not as the scribes. So no matter what amount of authority the scribes had used to teach, when Jesus spoke, their authority by comparison didn't even look like that's what it was. Jesus didn't teach about the scriptures, right? That, that's, that's what I do. That's what teachers do. Anyone with enough time to study and memorize can do that. It, it's not that big of a deal. Jesus taught the Bible like he was the one who wrote it. When they heard him speak, they knew he was right. Jesus didn't have to cite anyone. He didn't have to join in with arguments that other teachers had already made to make his points. He, he wouldn't have needed to quote anyone to support what he was saying. He wouldn't have needed to provide any footnotes. Every time I get in the pulpit, I'm standing on the shoulders of literally hundreds, probably, of teachers and authors and preachers, let alone the desperate need I have for God the Holy Spirit to overtake, to compensate for me, or my words won't go any further than this wooden pulpit. That was not the case when Jesus spoke. When we marvel at good teaching, what we're marveling at is what someone else has been able to learn about truth. Jesus is truth. Jesus was knowledge. The word astonished there doesn't just mean amazed. In Greek, it carries with it the very real sense of being terrified. They had never heard Anybody talk like this before? Exousia is the Greek word for authority here. It means literally out of being. It comes from the same root word as author does. The authority of Jesus was original. It was self-generated. They were hearing God speak. And so it will be every time Jesus opens his mouth in the book of Mark. So Jesus doesn't really say Thus saith the Lord, as much as he says, but I say unto you, right? The distinguishing mark of the teaching of Jesus in the gospel of Mark is this unique authority. Jesus didn't teach like what he knew was dependent on someone else's insight. He taught about God and about life with original authority, not derived authority, not authority that someone else let him have, right? That's what authority among human beings is usually like, and we'll see derived authority by contrast. This is a, a very um, powerful thing Mark does uniquely. You'll see authority being contrasted, even in an implied way, all throughout the Gospel of Mark. And so you'll see derived authority a lot. Herod, for example, the Roman Tetrarch of Galilee itself, when you see him, he, he has to wheel and deal. He has to worry about what others think. He can't just do what he wants to do because it will cause him trouble. 
The Pharisees and scribes and those who were the religious authority in Israel, they couldn't be honest and consistent. They had to pull aside when they talked to Jesus and discuss amongst themselves and then come back with a different answer after they'd figured it out. They had to hedge their bets in order to argue with Jesus. We know this kind of authority. When we hear authority, by implication, that's what we're saying. We, we, we play with authority all the time. If you see the cop before he sees you, you can push on your brakes and you'll be all right. So his authority is almost limited by what you allow or catch in time. And we see this kind of authority all the time. We see it every day. There's always something going on under the surface. Most leaders are usually still answering to somebody else. So authority makes you weary. We scoff at it. We're cynical about it. We don't like it. We always think it's wrong and against us and oppressive. And it certainly can be. Not the authority of Jesus. And the first illustration in the book of such authority is its power over whom? Satan himself. The biggest enemy there is. The prince of the power of the very air we are breathing right now. What an interesting literary tool to show that the first ones in the book of Mark to fully recognize the identity of Jesus as the Son of God was the demons, the greatest enemies he had. Mark's audience, remember, hovering in the catacombs underneath Rome, hears that the first enemy that was conquered was the greatest one they had, Satan himself. Nero had nothing on Satan. But Satan and the hordes of hell have nothing on Jesus. Even in the darkest hour when Satan works to finally have Jesus crucified, every ounce of the authority he has in that moment was given to him by God to do what God wanted him to do anyway. That's what we're dealing with here. We're talking about where the buck actually stops. The minute Jesus turns his attention to this man, he cried out in verse 23. He screamed. What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? Us? First of all, Jesus really has nothing to do with them as they have nothing to do with him. They represent two different realities. They have nothing in common. Their only relationship is conflict. And here, that conflict will come to defeat and judgment eventually. They knew. They've always known. That they were on borrowed time. So we have to why is Satan even fighting? Why does he do what he does? Does he honestly think he can win? Yeah, of course he does. Beloved, for one thing, I think we have to realize that the most refined and original evil is by nature, at its essence, irrational. That's what evil is. It's irrational. That's the essence of evil. In a cosmos created by God, then, to rebel, to be evil, is what? Absolute insanity. No matter how, again, no matter how refined or technical or thought out it is, it's insanity. It's irrational. It's not based on sense. It's not based on reality. It's based on desire. So, of course, Satan and his minions try. Of course they do. They'll switch strategies and make up for things and go back. And I mean, that, that's just, that's what evil does. Again, it doesn't have actual authority. So it has to always be working to stay, 
to get gain, to have prominence. But this is the actual way of things. This is what it actually looks like if God chooses to act this way in a given moment. The demon, notice what the demon is doing, reveals his identity, his name. I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. He's trying to get rid of Jesus, right? If if I name my enemy, I can gain an advantage. I gain power over him. Then we can defeat him. Verse 25, but Jesus rebuked him, saying, be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him, crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And that's a wrap. That's all it took. If that's what Jesus wants to happen, that's what happens. Beloved, that's how it actually is. Everywhere, anywhere, everyone, anyone, all the time. That's how it is. That is how the universe actually works if God puts his foot down. Be silent. Come out of him. Ah, okay. Loud seizure. Subsequent departure. We're done. The demon was as terrified as the people. The demon is even more terrified than the people. For all its power and evil intentions and malice and wickedness, when one realizes he or she is actually in the presence of a holy God, the first response is always pure terror. Right? It's really the only response. Our arrogance and insistence on our own ways and desires is not evidence of God's lack of authority. It's evidence that we must not be anywhere near the holy. Despite what cooked up reverence we might spout from our mouths. This is one of the other motifs that appears throughout Mark. When the holiness of who Jesus is is made known, the immediate response is fear and dread. We'll see this later, the beautiful story of Jesus catching all the fish. And what does Peter say? Peter said, we got to recruit you. Come and work for us. No, no, no. Go away from me. Get away from me. I'm a sinful man. You're not. You're something else. Get away from me. Please. We fear the holy because we aren't. To not fear it is to have no sense of who God is or who we are. It is staggering the gall of people in the church who simultaneously claim the name of Jesus and insist on their own way. The demons have the good sense to scream and run. Jesus, however, won't allow it. Shut up, in verse 25, is what he's saying. And get out of him. Jesus isn't ashamed of his identity in Mark. He's, he's committed to completing his work. Right? He doesn't want anything to get in the way of what he needs to accomplish before he dies. The power of darkness hasn't been given its hour yet. When Jesus commanded, the demon obeyed. No one on earth, apparently, no one in the synagogues, no one teaching, leading Israel could do that, apparently. Right? If someone could have done it, it would have been done by now, and this wouldn't have so shocked and awed the people. It hasn't been done yet. 
All the religious devotion and prowess of Israel could not do this. And Jesus wasn't playing Egyptian magicians games here. He's not using any cards. He's not rattling any beads. He talks. He simply actually has authority, beloved. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. The first thing Jesus does in Mark after he begins to call his disciples is put the primary enemy on notice. I'm here and it's mine. That, beloved, is authority. So, there is no way you'd be reading this if you didn't know his story and think that the way this book is going to end is that these little punks are going to kill him at the end of the book. Think about that. How do you challenge authority like that? How, how do you get him? And who's going to do it? God answers to no one. God, God has no accountability partner. Nobody that he must answer to. When he swears, he swears by his own name. There's no governing body of the universe or of reality to which he has to answer for his actions. That's how it is in comic books with power. Even comic books know, well, you can't have absolute power. It's got to answer to somebody or there's no tension in the story, right? It would be kind of a boring story, right? Well, this isn't the Marvel Universe. This is the real universe. If Jesus snaps, the heroes can't gather up the Infinity Stones and go back in time and create new timelines, and they can't do it. If you haven't seen that movie, I'm really sorry, but that's they, that can't happen, right? That's, that's, that's authority as people write it, right? When man writes authority, he just writes strength, power. And, but, again, that has a limit, because what if you can get more muscles, more power? The authority of Jesus isn't like that. Who, who can challenge it? Every rule or law or ordinance or fact that we try to enact to undo him is his idea. There's one way, beloved, one way the story about Jesus here ends with his death. One way. If it's what he wanted. If it was his call. And that makes the story of Jesus a completely different story. Yes, it is very wise to run in terror from a God so holy. But beloved, we don't have to. One of the marks of dependent authority, derived authority, is that it's always trying to be held on to. And the lengths to which tyrants and snakes will go to keep or to gain this authority is almost unbelievable. But the authority of Jesus is so actual and so absolute that he can submit to us and still not be in danger of losing it. That's true power. That's actual and absolute. And how actual and absolute is the authority of Jesus? He doesn't have to hang on to it to keep it. 
It just is, whether he's exercising it or not, and it can't be taken away. It's an incontrovertible fact. Therefore, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Mark ten forty five. Jesus, with all this power and all this strength, is the antithesis of chaos. There's no collateral damage when Jesus ascends the throne. There's no death of the innocents. At the end of the day, the only way to gain and keep authority or power for any length of time in our world is to kill somebody for it. Somebody has to go. Somebody has to be removed. Somebody has to be replaced. War is how peace comes in a fallen world. That's inevitable because the world is cursed and it's been subjected to futility. Peace here will not be achieved peacefully. That's part of the curse. But when Jesus made his war on sin and death and hell, he didn't come to kill, he came to die. His defeat of Satan and sin and death is not at the expense of their victims, but on behalf of their victims. He was showing the cosmos who was in charge by dying and losing nothing. I can sleep in the grave for three days. You'll get nothing. Do we understand then why, by the way, it's so important that Christianity never be used to gain earthly power? It doesn't need it. We don't need it to be or to spread. It gets in the way. If you marry it, you get the whole stinking family. Right? We don't need to marry it. We don't need to join with it. Jesus is the king. I don't need anybody's permission to know Jesus. Jesus doesn't need anybody's permission to proclaim salvation for sinners. We don't need that. It's antithetical to the very spirit of Jesus to join with the world so that we can get his name out there. Don't ask people that don't love him to give him lip service. Don't do it. He doesn't need it. This is a thought for us as we head into Easter week. This is how much I reign, Jesus says. Kill me. Here, here's my life. It won't work. I'll die. I'll suffer. But you won't win. I'm getting up in three days. Jesus is declaring that he reigns over everything. But how did he do it? Dying. Giving everything away. He's declaring in that that he reigns over everything. Everything. Everything, beloved. We fight to give God a place in our society. Jesus has overcome the world. And as such, his death at the hands of his enemies is the very means by which he will ascend the throne, from which, by the way, he will forgive the sins of many and grant them the righteousness of God so that they may be saved. And it doesn't matter who says unfair. It doesn't matter who rises up to say, no, 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 you don't know what they did. You can't forgive them. 
You can't redeem them. I was their victim, right? What will God do with all this? How will God reconcile all this mess? The death of His own Son for the victim and the perpetrator, beloved. It doesn't matter who wants to resist it. It doesn't matter who wants to challenge it. It was His choice because this is the way He wanted to accomplish salvation And so everything that transpires, beloved, even that which is against him, is working for him to help him achieve his goal. That's authority. There's nothing that can be undone by the strongest, or nothing that can be done by the strongest opposer to stop or undo what Jesus Christ means to accomplish. Beloved, this is what actual and absolute authority looks like. Right? The salvation of sinners By the death of the Son of God. This is part of the reason He walked among us. He completely gave Himself to us. And we killed Him of our own accord. All it did was accomplish His goal. That's all we can do. We are helpless in the face of such power. What can we do? Cry And beg with sense like demons do for mercy not to destroy us. And if when we are speaking of such authority, it can be identified only with Jesus. then beloved, this salvation he offers you and I is real. It will work. It will be sufficient and final. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, uses His actual and absolute authority to lay down His life that He might save sinners. And beloved, all that has been exercised for you. For everyone to whom this message appeals when they hear it, it's for you. Take it. Take it. This word cannot be denied. Do you realize this? You realize this, as you sit evaluating your own life, wondering if if you're even in the conversation. We don't have the authority to make the life and death and resurrection of Jesus insufficient for salvation. Do you realize that? You don't have the authority to tell Jesus it won't work for you. You don't have the authority to say, my burden is too much. I've done too much. You don't even know. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. And and you're facing the one with the absolute power to destroy you. But today, in this moment, if you come to him, he will not. In fact... He will embrace you and make you his own dear child. See, that's authority. I I love that image of Jesus washing the feet of his disciples. Do you think in that moment, after all they had seen and heard him do and say, when he bent down to wash their feet, do you think they were, there was any question in the room who had power? Who has the authority here? 
It was the man washing the feet. They knew it. They knew it. We don't have the authority to choose salvation to come about another way. Right? We don't have the authority to tell God, no, 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 it's not by grace. It's by works. You don't, you don't have the authority to do that. It's, it's, at the end of the day, all belief and unbelief is a matter of who's in charge. We have no authority here. Nothing. None. It's, it's laughable. You, you could mount every army soldier in the world. It's laughable. It, it's, right? We're stripped bare. Beloved, that's, that's what's actual. We're stripped bare. Known exhaustively. Diagnosed perfectly. All we can do is surrender. That's all we can do. But we love in the one to whom we must surrender has made the provision not just for our amnesty, but for our adoption into his family. You're not going to die in that sense. When you come to Jesus, you're going to be born again. Jesus Christ, the one with actual and absolute authority, is the only one who won't use it to take something from you. You see that, right? Because he has that authority, he needs nothing from you. Right? Everything Jesus demands is his way of telling you what you can't provide. So just surrender. He will save you. He will save you. Christian, you need to know that as much as the unbeliever needs to know that. The Jesus you worship is a savior for sinners. Jesus has not only the authority to save you, right? All authority on heaven, in heaven and on earth was given to Jesus. If he wants to save you, he will save you. And he not only has, again, the power and authority to do it, he has the ability and the desire. Amen.